All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, with Christmas coming up, I want to consider the idea this evening of the glory, the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ. That's the title of the message this evening. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Because I said so. How many, of you have, how many of you have heard that from your parents? Because I said so. I remember a few times growing up, uh, my parents asked me to do something, and I'd give attitude or question why I should. And many times the answer is, because I said so, or because I told you so. And so perhaps you can think of a time in your life where your parents told you, because I said so, or perhaps you can think of a time when you told your kids, because I said so. And uh, there comes a time when that's, that's the answer that's needed. Of course, uh, as, uh, as kids get older and turn into teens, that has to become something a little bit more, uh, the why of what we do, what we do. But there's times when, because I said so, is, uh, is the reason we need to do things. And I remember one time, my brother, when he was younger, he was trying to, he was playing with some keys and he tried to stick one of the keys into the electrical socket. And that's not the time for my parents to stop and explain to my brother, well, you shouldn't put the key in the electrical socket because it's dangerous and it might hurt you. No, they, they uh, you know, it might be the time to yell at him and say, don't do that, you're gonna hurt yourself. Uh, and so, uh, because I said so, here in our passage, we have an assertion of a great truth, and that's the truth that God has spoken, that God has given us his word, and he's given us his final word in his son. And so in this passage, this, uh, the opening, the introduction to the book of Hebrews, the author asserts the authority of Christ, that Christ is king, that Christ is our uh, authority and we ought to listen to him we ought to obey him we ought to heed his authority and instruction in our life and so here in the opening of hebrews chapter one we get a glimpse of the authority of christ but also the glory of christ so as we consider christmas i want us to consider the glory of christ who is christ and why does he have authority and why does he have glory and why do we worship him and so I want us to consider that, that, that thought this evening, the glory of Christ and the glory of who he is. And I hope this evening that we all accept who the, the scripture reveals Christ to be. And the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who he didn't need to convince them that Christ is Lord, but he's reminding them here of the fact that Christ is Lord because they have forgotten that. And oftentimes in our life, we would all admit that we believe Christ is Lord, at least I hope so. We would all admit that we believe Christ is God, but why do we worship him? And why is he worthy of our worship? And why does he have glory? And uh, why is he called the son of God? And so sometimes we simply need to be reminded of who it is that Christ is and who it is that we're worshiping and why he has authority in our life. And so when our parents would tell us, because I said so, they were asserting something. They were asserting that they were the authority and that their instruction, their commands needed to be obeyed. And tonight we see the assertion of who Christ is. 
and why we ought to obey him, why we ought to live for him, um, and, and why we ought to listen to his word. And so we see our call to accept his authority and his glory in our life. And so I want us to consider the glory of Christ. Let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll pray again. So the message this evening, Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 1, starting at verse 1, the Bible says this, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Be, uh, uh, well, well, we'll finish it, and uh, we'll continue next week, starting at verse 4. But let's pray, and uh, we'll get in the message this evening. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this evening as we consider this thought of uh, your glory and who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be reminded of these truths this evening. And uh, Lord, as we come upon Christmas and we're reminded of your birth. Lord, I just pray that you help us not to forget uh, who it is that you are and why you came and why we ought to worship you and serve you in our life. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just help me now to be emptied of self, Lord, and filled with your spirit. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I know I don't deserve this opportunity, and so I pray that you would use me this evening as only you can, Lord, to speak to hearts and help us to leave here telling more about you and being conformed more to your image. Lord, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that I want us to see this evening is that God has spoken. God has spoken. And this is the assertion that's made by the author. And we see two categories of God speaking, uh, two categories that the author mentions. Uh, the first is that God has spoken in sundry times and in diverse manners, or in many times and in many ways. Um, that's what that phrase sundry times means. Uh, the word sundry, it means uh, parts and pieces. It's like if you saw something in half, you're sawing it in sunder. You're sawing it into parts. And so uh, God has spoken in, in many different times in, in the past, and God has spoken in many different ways. And, uh, and we see that mentioned here. Uh, he spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, verse 1 says. So God spoke at many different times in the Old Testament. I think about when God spoke to Noah and told Noah to build the ark. And I think about when God spoke to Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the Canaan land. I think about how God spoke through the prophets to the nation of Israel uh, to give them the instruction and the word that they needed. And so God spoke many different times throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament wasn't all written at one time, uh, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. It wasn't written all at once. It was written over a long period of time, and God spoke in different times to man uh, in, in that time period. But God spoke in many different ways as well in the Old Testament. And for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you can fill in the blanks pretty quickly of some of the different ways that God has spoken. What are some ways that you can think of that God, some unique ways that God spoke to people in the Old Testament? Someone give me some examples. The burning bush, I have that one down. God spoke through a burning bush. 
A donkey. God spoke through a donkey. All right, what are some other unique ways that God spoke to man in the Old Testament? Nathan? The handwriting on the wall. Uh, you have one, Ryan? Yeah, he led uh, the children of Israel with the, with the pillar of fire and the pillar of, of cloud during the day. And so God has spoken uh, in many different ways. Um, God often used signs and wonders in the Old Testament to assert that he is the one that is speaking. And uh, through his prophets, he, he would do many different miracles to assert that this isn't just the message of a man. This is the message of God, and you need to listen up. And so... God has spoken in many different, at many different times and in many different ways. But the author says that God has now spoken through his son. In verse 2, half in these last days spoken unto us by his son. By his son. We see here a progression of God's revelation. Not that his word changes because God is always the same. But a progression in the sense that everything we see in the Old Testament... All of the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament, the law that was written in the Old Testament, all of those things progress to Christ. And so all of those things lead us to Christ. And uh, he is the fulfillment of everything we see in the Old Testament. And, and the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. These were Jewish believers who grew up understanding the law, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the prophecies. And the writer is reminding them that everything you read in the Old Testament, it's pointing to Christ. And it's often been said that there's a scarlet thread that runs through the whole Bible. And you see Christ through the whole Bible, all the way from Genesis, uh, when, when God had to kill an animal to clothe Adam and Eve for their sin, as a picture of the fact that Christ is a covering for, for our sin. And so you, you see Christ all throughout the Old Testament, everything leads up to Christ, but he is the final word. Uh, there, is no, there, there is nothing outside a, a, of Christ uh, pertaining to the word of God. He is what John calls, he is the word of God. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 says this, in the beginning, in the beginning of creation, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And when you read John, you realize that the word there is Jesus Christ. Uh, we read in the Bible how Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. He took on the, the form of a servant, the form of a man. God came down, left heaven, and took on the form of a man. He is the word made flesh. And all of the laws in the Old Testament, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, they lead and they point to Christ. He is the word. And in these last days, the author of Hebrews writes, uh, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. For those of us who are saved, that's excellent news. That Christ is the fulfillment of the law of God. Christ fulfilled the law that we can never keep in our own strength and in our own ability. Uh, in our sin nature, we, we're not perfect. We're sinners and we're unable to keep the law of God, but Christ as God in the flesh was able to keep the law perfectly and fulfill the law. Uh, Christmas is coming up again, of course, and, and you can read prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, and it is Christ who fulfills those prophecies. And we know Christ as the Messiah because he fulfills 
those prophecies. Uh, and so we're encouraged that Christ, he is the, the word. He came, we read about how he came as the Messiah, and he came to seek and to save the lost, the Bible says, to give his life as a ransom for many. This evening, have you been ransomed? Have you been saved? The Old Testament shows us who that ransom is. It's Jesus Christ. He's our only hope of salvation this evening. That same Old Testament that the people, the author of Hebrews is writing to, they would have been familiar with the law. Uh, Jesus Christ fulfilled that law. The same Old Testament that tells us we need a, a permanent sacrifice to uh, wash away our sins forever. It shows us that Christ is that one who is our sacrifice. Jesus is that sacrifice. He's already laid down his life for us on the cross. He's shed his blood so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be pardoned and forgiven. This evening, have you received that pardon? Have you been saved? Have you been forgiven? For those of us who are saved, we're reminded that Christ is the word of God. And that means for us that as we get to know Christ, as we spend time with Christ in his word, we know God. As we know Christ, we know the Father. Jesus, told, Jesus said that to one of his disciples, Philip, when he was traveling in ministry. In John 14, 9, the Bible says this. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Philip asked Jesus to show them, show them the Father. I want, Philip wanted to see the Father in the flesh. And Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because Jesus is, uh, is God. He's God in the flesh. Um, we see, uh, and so we see in the rest of the opening here in Hebrews 1, a description of who it is that we're following. We see that the author assert that Christ is the word of God. He is the son of God. And God has spoken through his son. But who is his son? That question that we started with, or that uh, response from our parents that we started with in the beginning. Because I told you so. When your parents said, because I told you so. Hopefully you listened uh, to their authority. Hopefully you listened and did what they said. And hopefully you listened because you realized who they were. And you realized what they've done for you. And you realized what they could do to you if you did not obey and did not listen. Uh, and it's similar with Christ. We know that Christ is the Son of God, uh, but I want us to see why we ought to listen to him, why we ought to follow him. And we see here in verses 2 and 3 a description of who the Son is. So number two this evening, I want us to see who is the Son. Who is it that we worship and serve? Uh, who does the author describe to us here? First, we see that Jesus is called the heir in this passage. Look at verse 2, please please. Uh, verse 2 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. So we see seven things. First, Jesus is the heir of all things. The idea of heir is that Christ is uh, supreme. He is the inheritor of all things. Uh, he has the right and the ownership over all things. And uh, the word worlds there at the end of verse 2, it has the idea not just of things, of physical things, but of time itself, of time and space. Christ is the heir of all things, including time and space. 
Uh, and so th this, this thought that Jesus is the heir of all things, it's expanded on in chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. If you could look there briefly. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Verse 8 says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. All things are under subjection to Christ. They're under his control. They're under his authority. Uh, Christ is the heir of all things. Uh, and that includes you and it includes me. He's, uh, he's our Lord. I am reminded of Psalm 139 in verse 1. But the entirety of Psalm 139, I would encourage you to read it, describes to us the omnipotence of God that's, that he is all-powerful. Uh, it describes to us the omniscience of God that he is all-knowing. But it puts these truths in a very practical way. In Psalm chapter 139, in verse 1, David writes this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Christ is the heir of all things. He's created all things. He is over all things. And that includes you and it includes me. All things are subject to him, but God has chosen to love you and God has chosen to love me. It's not some far-off truth. Uh, God is not some far-off being that we have no access to, but God has chosen of all the things he has control over, of all the things that he has made, he has chosen to love us. He has chosen, if you've been saved, to make you his child, uh, to, to have fellowship with you. Do you realize that this evening that you, have, you can have a relationship with the creator and the owner of all things? The one that has made you wants to know you and wants to get to know you. But do you have that same desire to want to get to know the one who made you? For, but God is the heir of all things. Uh, and that also includes those who are lost. Christ is, is, uh, is supreme over even those who reject him. He's Lord even though, over those who don't, don't put their faith in him. For those of us who are saved, we become God's children. But for those who reject Christ, he still has authority over them, even if they reject it. And in that authority, he, uh, they will be judged for their sin and for their unbelief in the gospel. But for those of us who are saved, we can have fellowship with Christ. And we're made joint heirs with Christ. And we get to fellowship with him. We get to partake in fellowship with Christ. So Christ is the heir of all things. He's also the creator the creator of all things. At the end of verse 2, by whom also he made uh, the worlds. And again, worlds here, it's the idea of the material world, but also time. And if you remember in our series through Esther, you remember how God is, uh, is sovereign over, over all things. That he's working behind the scenes to work all things together for our good and for his will. There's nothing outside of, of God's control. Christ is the creator John acknowledges this in John 1, 1 through 3, we read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, all things were made by Him. Jesus has authority over all things, including you and including me, because He's created all things. He's fashioned us, just like the potter has power over the clay that uh, he, he forms to whatever He wants to make. God has Christ has authority over our life. Do you recognize 
the authority of Christ in your life. As we celebrate Christmas, we should be reminded that the creator of all things made himself in the form of a servant. He took on the same flesh that you and I have to live as we have lived to identify with us. When we think of Jesus as the creator, we should be reminded that he identifies with us. He's not a creator outside of our reach, but he has reached down to earth and became a servant. And uh, he came down to give his life for us. He's not indifferent to us, but he's very much invested in us as his creation. The psalmist says that we are the, we're the apple of God's eye. We're, we're the creation that God called a very good. And God has made us unique and with a purpose in this life. And that purpose is to glorify God as our creator and to know him. So Christ is the creator. Christ is also the the brightness of God's glory or the radiance of God's glory. Look at verse 3. Who being the brightness of his, his glory. Just as the rays of the sun uh, come down and touch the earth and light the world around us with their light, so Christ is the brightness of God's glory and the very image of God. He has come down to earth and now shines in the hearts of those who receive him as their savior the question is are you letting the light of christ shine through you he shines down on us but we're called as believers to let our light shine to the world to be like a city that's set on a hill to be like a candle that's lit and set on a candlestick uh, are we letting our light shine are we letting others see christ through us with our witness and with our testimony we ought to let christ's light shine through us or would the world be confused when they learn that you're a Christian? Would they be confused because they see the way that you talk and the things that uh, come out of your mouth and they're not Christ-like and they don't reflect the Lord? Would the world be confused to learn that we're a Christian because of the way we treat others, because of how we let our anger get out of control and we are unkind and harsh towards others? Would the world around us be confused to learn that we're a Christian because of the way we treat the waitress or the cashier at the store who isn't going quite fast enough, who, isn't, who didn't take our order correctly the first time? Would the world be confused? We need to let our light shine in this world. Christ is the brightness of God's glory, and we are to be a reflection of Christ in us. But are we doing that? Christ is also the express image of God's nature we see here. In verse 3, the express image of his person. This is a beautiful truth that we need to grasp. The, um, the word there, express image, it's the idea of a stamp or a seal. Just as a king would use his signet ring and he would melt wax and then use his ring to press his seal on a letter. So Christ is the exact imprint of who God is. That seal that the king would use... Uh, the, the seal that it would make would reflect exactly what was on the ring. And Christ is an exact reflection of who God is. Christ is the embodiment of God in human flesh. All throughout the Old Testament, we, we read of examples of men who could not look on God. I think about Moses. He could only look at the, the backside of God. And when he left that uh, moment, he, his, he was glowing because of God's glory. And then I'm reminded of the disciples that got to see Christ transfigured into 
uh, the glory of God and uh, they, they saw his brightness. Well, Christ is the exact reflection of who God is. He is God in the flesh. So for us, that means that as we get to know Christ, as we read of Christ in the New Testament and we see the way that Christ interacted with others, we see how Christ interacted with his disciples and the lost and his enemies, and we see what he has done for us. As we know Christ, we know God. As we get to know God and as we get to as we get to know Christ and we get and we walk in his spirit that he has given us, we know God. Do you do you want to know God this evening? Walk in the spirit. Walk with him. Read of Christ. Obey Christ. Reflect Christ in your life. Learn of Christ. Get to know Christ, for he is the exact imprint of who God is. Number five, Christ is the sustainer. Christ is the sustainer. And this is a beautiful truth for us as well this evening. Not only is God the creator, but he's the sustainer of everything he's created. In the 19th century, there was a group of people called deists. And they popularized this, what's been called the watchmaker theory. The idea that God is like a watchmaker. He's made a, uh, just like a watchmaker, he, he puts together the watch, he winds it up, and he doesn't touch it after that. It just goes on its own. Well, the deists believe that God created everything, but that he's... His hands are off, that he doesn't really get involved in our life, that he's not really concerned about our affairs or what we're going through or what's happening in the world. That couldn't be farther from the truth. We see a very different picture here, that God, he's created the world, but he upholds the world with the word of his power. Christ is intimately involved even today in our life. I wonder, have you experienced that? Have you experienced Christ's sustaining power? I'm reminded of the role of the Holy Spirit, whom Christ has sent. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be a comforter in times of trial. Have you experienced the comfort of Christ in trials? Have you experienced the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can give in hard times? That's God's sustaining power in your life, to help you through hardships, to help you through trials that you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know the right decisions to make. You don't know what's ahead in the future, but you trust in God and his spirit comforts you in those hard times. That's God's sustaining power in your life. When you woke up this morning, you had breath in your lungs and there's nothing that you did about that. It just happened. That's because Christ is your sustainer and he's given you life. When you woke up this morning, I'm sure you didn't wake up trying to concentrate to get your heart to beat. No, that happens naturally because Christ is the sustainer of our life. He gives us life. This world didn't stop spinning on its axis today because Christ is sustaining the world. The earth didn't shift a couple of feet closer to the sun and burn us all up or a couple of feet away from the sun and cause us all to freeze because Christ is sustaining all things, even the world. And he sustains our life. Uh, he leads us in our life. He meets our needs. He helps us through trials. He gives us the direction that we need when we're making decisions. Christ is our sustainer. And we need to be reminded of Christ as our sustainer. Instead of being overcome with the attitude of the complainer. Oftentimes we have the attitude of the complainer because we forget that Christ is our sustainer. That he, that he is in control of all things and we can trust his hand to take care of our needs. And so Christ is our sustainer. Christ is also our high priest. We see that in verse 3. Verse 3. 
when he had by himself purged our sins. In, in the Old Testament, of course, the high priest would make a sacrifice every year for the sins of the people. Well, Christ is the, the perfect sacrifice. He gave his life once and for all people, for all time. Christ is our perfect sacrifice. As we celebrate Christmas, of course, we, we celebrate, celebrate Christ coming to this world to be our sacrifice, to be the perfect lamb who would one day die on the cross and, and shed his blood to be the savior of the world. He's our high priest. He's our high priest, and we need to be careful that we don't forget what Christ has done for us on our behalf as our high priest. And finally, excuse me, we see that Christ is king. Christ is king at the end of verse 3. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The idea there is that God, uh, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. They're, they're one and the same, that Christ is king. He came to this world as a baby once, and he's coming back again one day as a reigning king, as the king of kings and lord of lords. And the question is, do you know this king? Do you know Christ as, as king, as your Lord? Do you serve him and worship him as king and as Lord? This king, this King Christ, he subjected himself to the abuse of those who hated him and despised him because he loved them and he wanted them to be saved. He, this king came and he took on the form of a servant to, to die for us and uh, he, get, he loved us while we were his enemies. This is the king that we celebrate this this time of year this this king has come once as a baby but he's coming back as a king uh, he's coming back to reign and i hope you know this king this evening so that you can reign with him do you know christ this evening do you realize who christ is and what he has done you know often oftentimes at christmas we just think of jesus as a baby and of course he came as a baby he came in the form of a human but there's so much more in the manger that christmas night uh, than just a baby. Uh, so much more than just a normal baby. When, when that baby was in the manger, it was, he was the creator of the world, embodied in human flesh. He is the sustainer of our life, embodied in human flesh. That baby that was in the manger, uh, he, is, he was the express image uh, of God in human flesh. He is the brightness of God's glory come down to earth uh, in, in human flesh. He was the high priest in that manger come down in human flesh and he's the king that left heaven and came down to earth to live as a man he did that because he loves you and he loves me and he did that to be the savior of the world this evening have you trusted in jesus christ as king as savior and as lord for those of us who are saved we need to realize who christ is and that and then we need to get busy living for him and serving him and as we serve him we remind ourselves of who he is, and that we're not serving a Buddha who's dead. We're not serving a Muhammad whose bones are still in the grave. We're not serving some good teacher who lived 2,000 years ago, but uh, that's all he was. No, we're serving the king of kings. We're serving the creator. We're serving the one who sustains all things. We're serving one, the one who is the very image of God. We're serving the one who is the brightness of God's glory. We're serving the one who's our high priest and our king. Do you know Christ and his glory this evening? Right.